Hi. Hey. I'm Julia. And I'm Amanda. And this is Much Needed Advice, a podcast for people who want to know what to do. Hi, listeners. Today on the pod, Julie and I interview our friend of over a decade, Elise Garcia. Elise and I became great friends at USC. We started a couple of businesses together, took one class we'll never forget, may have had a little too much fun at the Nino. We could do a whole podcast just telling you stories from college. But for today, Elise is a lifelong entrepreneur and the creator of The Strong Movement, a consultancy that helps organizations create better cultures, cultures of well-being, resilience, and belonging, using research-based tools, strategies, and applications. Because, as she says in this episode, everyone wants to work with happy people, right? In this episode, what you can expect is Eileen sharing her journey of building her business from a college blog into a national empire. She reveals the foundation of well-being, tells us the number one hack that transformed the quality of her sleep, and she even says the one thing that has ever convinced me to start going to bed early. You're just going to have to listen to find out what it is. As our listeners know, Julie and I have always been passionate about sleep. So for our recs of the week this week, we're resharing two of our favorite products, the Sunrise Alarm Clock and the Aloe Humidifier in the show notes. You can hear all about them at the end of episode 10 if you want to give it another listen. This episode is full of advice, so we hope you enjoy it. DM us and tell us what was most helpful to you. We have someone to introduce to you all, and it is our friend Elise Garcia. I'm excited to be here. It's like old times. We all met at USC. Well, you and I didn't yeah. meet at USC. You guys go way back. We all met yeah. Elise at USC. We all came together at USC. Remember that one time when you guys, for my 20th birthday, you baked me a giant cookie cake? That's yes, right. because I still get the Facebook <laughs> memory yeah. every year and we cut it into the shape of a weird heart mm-hmm. I still, yeah. yeah i still remember that photo we took in your apartment every year it pops up yeah, you guys book. collabed on that tell the people where you're at in your life right now so let's see here so back in the day i was running a blog started a blog called the strong movement in college in college also ahead of your time before everyone and their mother had a blog mm-hmm now we're a full-on consultancy, and we do trainings, workshops, seminars. We've done this for over 7,000 sorority women across the country, businesses, trade associations. We've created a well-being resilience program all based in research for the largest sorority in the country and for businesses too, and now high schools. And it's so fun. It doesn't feel like work. So can you tell us about the strong movement? What do you teach? What are your courses about? What are your, kind of your pillars? Yeah. So, well, back in the day, it was all about fitness and working out, right? Then sprinkle in some nutrition and then it was about motivation. Well, you were the first one to talk about skinny fat because the trend was all about being skinny. Mm-hmm. So hence the strong movement, like let's look strong. You look healthier that way. 
right. focus on strength training and you'll still look the way you want, but be way healthier. Yeah. Which was definitely a focus in college because let's face it. A lot of us in college just cared about looks. Right. But then as you get older, it's less about looks and more about health and longevity and vitality. So after college, I started leading workshops and workouts for sororities first here in Southern California, and then word travels really fast. So I was flying all over the country to different campuses, working with different chapters and sometimes entire Panhellenic communities on campuses, leading these confidence workshops and then a full-on workout afterwards. And that was all based off of my research and then also to like what I thought worked for me. And so it was a lot of advice and then some of the research that I had done before. And then I realized that so many of the young women were coming to me and asking me for more resources and more tools on how to apply it in their lives and how to be more confident. So then that's when I realized I actually should probably go back to school and study this. So I went to Penn, which is where positive psychology was founded. And positive psych is the scientific study of human flourishing. So of individuals like you and me, people or groups like, let's say a sorority, right? A sorority chapter and then institutions, let's say like USC. So at all different levels, but starting with the individual. And so I studied what makes people and humans rise and thrive, what makes them actualize and optimize, what makes them feel super fulfilled and have a life of purpose. And so researchers in the field really dive deep into the question of what makes life worth living and what is the good life. And so the whole field of positive psych, it's like an umbrella for a lot of different scientific areas. So like neuroscience and basically like all these different researchers come together and it's under the umbrella of positive psych. They take samples of people and they study what makes people thrive. And then based off of that, it's less about hey, you should do this. So it's less like prescribing people things, but more describing and more descriptive of, hey, people that show high levels of well-being, this is what they do. And then giving you options to apply these different interventions or different habits into your own life to see if it works for you. I like to think of it as a science. And then the application is an art. You have the science, which says, okay, gratitude exercises improve well-being, right? But then the way you apply it in your life, you have to apply it a certain way, or maybe it's a different way that works for you. And then you have to, if it becomes too much of a habit, then it might not help you as much as when it's more random or sporadic. So there's definitely an art to the application piece. And then it's different for different types of people and groups of people and life experiences. So it just really depends. Is there any one thing in school that you learned and applied that really stuck out to you or really made a difference in your life? Well, it's always ongoing because your well-being ebbs and flows. So it's a lifelong journey. So I feel like I used to think of it as like, okay, I have to have perfect well-being. So I have to do everything so perfectly and I have to work out every day and I have to do all these things. But it you're going to drive yourself crazy if you do that. There's no such thing as perfect well-being. You can't be thriving 24/7 or 100% of the time. Like life circumstances change, different challenges come up. So, you're going to have to tap into different skills at different times. So, sometimes when times are tough, you have to 
go into your toolbox and pull out the tools, the resilience skills that will help you get through those challenges and navigate them more effectively. And then when times are good, you're feeling good, or you're not dealing with as much stress or challenging circumstances, then you can strengthen and sharpen different skills. So you have to have a lot in your toolbox. Oh, yeah. To Julia's question, what was like one tool that you whipped out a lot during the pandemic that worked? Well, I'll tell you, I think I have figured out what the foundation is. Sleep. Okay. Uh, hey, we knew it all. Our bodies knew it. Come on, guys. We've been telling we you. We love to sleep. hear it. <laughs> we are big sleepers on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Julie and I give each other awards for when we excel in the area of sleep. Like yeah. the diamond sleep mask, the golden pillow. Mm-hmm. For like a great nap where you wake up refreshed, which is hard to come by. So tell us what about sleep? Is it the number of hours? Is it the quality of the sleep? Is it the routine of going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time? Yeah. Combination of all of it. Getting good quality sleep also to you, the time that you're in bed is not the full time that you're sleeping. So you posted this yesterday. You posted something about getting eight hours. What did I post? It was like, I will do literally anything to get eight hours of sleep. Going to bed eight hours before I have to wake up. I'm a night owl. And also when you have just a lot going on at work, what is it called when you try to squeeze in your Mm. own personal time in the day by staying up late? Yeah, like sleep procrastination. Mm. When you feel like you don't get enough free time or alone time, you think like the later you stay up, the more you're maximizing having some time to yourself. Because that's the feeling that I have. Even if I'm just in bed and it's midnight, I'm like, but I'm like cozy and I'm like doing whatever I want to do. And that's when I have freedom, you know? Did we break a rule by drinking coffee after? Yeah. Well, it's depend. It's personal. So some people can drink caffeine and go straight to bed. But caffeine's half-life is like eight-ish hours. Like if you want to go to bed around 10 or 11 cutoff should be like one, two-ish. And I've realized that if I drink caffeine after 2 p.m., I'm wired. And then it'll interfere with your sleep. Caffeine attaches to a chemical in your brain called adenosine. Adenosine is like a, it's like a chemical that basically communicates to your brain that you are getting sleepy and tired. So it builds up throughout the whole day. And then as you sleep, it kind of resets to a low amount or nothing. So that's why like when you wake up in the morning, you feel refreshed and ready to go. But then throughout the day, like you feel sleepier and more tired. So caffeine masks that feeling and masks adenosine because it attaches to that receptor. But if you're drinking caffeine, adenosine is still building up in the background. So that's why you have that crash because when the caffeine wears off, you have all this sleepiness, this like sleep pressure that they call it build up. And then all of a sudden it hits you. And so that's what caffeine does. So you're actually still getting sleepy. You just don't Mm -hmm. know it. Yeah. Right. It's like taking Advil when you have cramps, like you still have them. You just can't feel it until it wears off. Yeah. So do you have any non-caffeine tips for that three o'clock slump? Go for a walk, stretch, move around. And I think there's also a natural low with chemicals and different hormones in your body around that time. I'm I'm not a scientist in this area, but I think that based off of circadian rhythms, there's a lot of other things at play with 
that like 3 p.m. slump. So basically getting at least seven to eight hours a night and then going to bed at a reasonable time and at the same time every night and then waking up at the same time every day. And that's been game changer for me because I was all over the place. And so I was all over the place mentally throughout the day because I didn't have a routine or a schedule. And then, you know, you have to have the right pillow, the right mattress that can affect the quality. So you can be sleeping for eight hours, but the quality can be really bad. So how did you discover how important sleep was to well-being? So, well, okay, you can read the research all day and there's a lot of research around sleep and its relationship with mental health, overall physical health. Lack of sleep can lead to many diseases and illnesses and risk of injuries and just a wide variety of pathologies. But it's not until you actually practice it for yourself that you kind of have an aha moment. I think the biggest thing that changed my sleeping game and that could have potentially a large impact on other people's sleep is getting light in the morning and adjusting your light intake. So within 30 minutes to an hour, getting actual sunlight, daylight outside in your eyes is super important to tell your body it's time to wake up. And then as you go throughout the day, during the day when you want to be awake, obviously have light around and the lights on. And then as the day is coming to a close, getting sunlight again outside, like during sunset, because the blue waves and light that comes and emits from the sun is different at that time to help your body start to understand it's time like to wind down and that nighttime is coming. And so we, in a society where we're working at all times, right? Like we have the lights on past sunset. So dimming the lights as it's getting closer to bedtime and then not being on your phone before bed and getting that blue light or blue light from screens. From my understanding, blue light is actually fine during the day. You don't have to wear the blue light canceling glasses. No way. But at night is when you would probably want to use them. So all those people wearing their blue light glasses in the office. Well, there's also like anecdotal cases, right? Where people feel like, oh, it helps with dry eyes or, you know, other things. But yeah, so for me, light was a huge game changer. So <laughs> come like 8 p.m., I'm dimming the lights. I'm turning lights down, even blocking out the little lights in your room at night so that it's also dark in there. You don't have city lights coming in through your window. So I'm a big nightlight person. I don't know if I'm still just afraid of the dark or like what my deal is, but I always have some kind of light on somewhere, but I didn't realize that something like that could really be hurting my sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So your eyes are part of your brain. They're like, this was revolutionary to me when I found this out. I had no idea that my eyes were part of my brain, but they do signal light to the brain. Andrew Huberman talks a lot about this. Matt Walker, there too. Matt Walker is a sleep expert. He wrote a book. I think it's called Why We Sleep. Uh, So he's done a lot of research on that. So my hack for lighting, because I'm very passionate about lighting and not having overhead light. I have a lot of lamps in the house and they're plugged into smart plugs. So every day at sunset, all the lamps turn on automatically. So we don't have to turn on like the overhead lights and we have that nice moody lighting, but I don't have to crawl around and find the plugs. I love that. And then they turn themselves off. Do you have that in your bedroom too? Because then you can do that and that light 
you can have it slowly turn on to help you wake up. Okay. I'm going to try that. So waking up and taking a walk within the first hour that you're awake outside. Yeah. Does it have to be sunlight or can it be artificial light in the morning? If you have access to sunlight. So some places are super cloudy, right? So you might not be getting the actual sunlight. Let's say a normal day where it is sunny, 10 minutes outside is good enough to kind of wake up your system. And then if it's cloudy, maybe 20 minutes or like super overcast, 30 minutes or more. And then if you're in a place that's like dark all the time, then you probably need to buy some type of artificial light that emits the same type of lux that outside light would give you. And should you be doing this without sunglasses? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So getting it within 30 minutes to an hour of waking up and then dimming the lights as you start to wind down, maybe adding some type of wind down routine, like drinking tea or a hot bath or shower And then getting yourself ready to sleep. Like we get ready for the day, most of us, right? (laughs) I'm a more of a night routine person. I know morning routines are really important. I'm just very, it's hard for me to be consistent in the morning, but I love a night routine. I'm not the model for great sleep. (laughs) I sleep with my phone literally right next to my head because I'm on it until the second I fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And on it the second I wake up. Oh yeah, I do all the things you're not supposed to do. For some reason, it's daunting to change your habits around sleep. I don't know why. Well, because it's so personal, too. Sleep is such a personal thing. But you don't have to change them all at once. You can just start with one thing to make it easier. Is there an ideal time to go to bed and wake up or as long as it's the same? So the type of sleep you got at night is also different. The first part of the night, you're getting a certain type of sleep. And then the second part of the night, you're in different sleep stages for longer. So if you go to bed later, you're getting less of one type of sleep versus if you're going to bed earlier in the night. And then if you're waking up earlier in the day, then you're getting less of a different stage of sleep. I believe you get more deep sleep earlier in the night. So that's what allows you to wake up feeling super refreshed and ready to go. And then the REM sleep, the dream sleep, that's what you got earlier in the morning hours. This is the biggest argument I've heard for me actually going to bed earlier, Mm. that at night you get the deeper sleep that makes you feel refreshed. Yeah. So you can cheat yourself and get less of that deep sleep if you're going to bed at 2am. And then if you're waking up early, uh, let's say you have to catch a flight and you have to get up super early, like 3 a.m., then you're getting less of that dream sleep. Is it important to dream? (laughs) (laughs) Philosophy major. Exactly, right? (laughs) Well, you need that stage of sleep for memory, learning. Even they've done studies about learning or reading something before taking a nap. And then all of the connections and how you're able to learn from taking a nap and what happens during sleep, and then being able to actually learn that material. So sleep is super important for learning, memory, cognition, literally everything. That's why it's the foundation. I recently learned that your traditional sleep masks keep you from going into REM sleep because your eyes can't flutter if they're the ones that like are on top of your eyes. So now they have ones that are like almost like goggles, but a sleep mask that are comfy that don't mess up your REM sleep. 
I started wearing an eye mask because my eyes don't close all the way when I'm sleeping. Oh, I remember this. <laughs> yeah, anyone who's uh, had the pleasure of watching me while I'm sleeping. <laughs> and some nights it's worse than others, you know, if we've had a cocktail or two. I laugh in my sleep and apparently that's really creepy for my boyfriend and now I guess I have a canned line that I just say in my sleep because he'll wake up and go, you know, like, what? What's going on? Or what's so funny? And I go, you had to be there. And I, I just did it again a couple of days ago. I'm glad I'm having a good time, honestly. Do you guys ever have the nightmare? And I have this one, not often, but it's a recurring one where you are back in college and the nightmare is, is that you never took a class that you needed to take. And so you never actually graduated. You're either finding it out now. So that's one dream. Or it's like you've time traveled back and you're in school and it's everybody else is graduating, but you're not because you just found out you didn't take a class you needed to. I would love to delve into the psychology behind dreams. I wonder if there's... There's really much to it, or if they're pretty random. Yeah, I don't know if they really have figured that out. Or yeah. my cat. Okay, I'll wait till they've figured it out. Is there a way that people listening to this podcast could access your services, or can you tell us what you offer and how it works if somebody wants to work with you? Yeah, so if companies want to work with me or individuals want to work with me, really just email and reach out. We do work with companies providing assessments and surveys to help companies understand where their employees are at and understand their levels of well-being and resilience. And then from there, we're able to identify a program or a certain type of class or educational seminar that employees can go through or take to help them enhance their well-being and learn resilience skills to help the employees thrive, but then also to help the organization thrive as well. Because everyone wants to work with happy people, right? How do people get in touch with you or what's your website? Sure. So you can go to thestrongmovement.com. It's evolved since, since the blog days. So you can go there, check out what we do, educational seminars, programs, and research. So we're happy to help any way we can. Amazing. Thanks for having me on. This has been super fun. I feel like it's just like old days. So that's what we think you should do. What do you think? Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Do you need advice? DM us on Instagram at much.needed.advice or email us at muchneededadvicepod at gmail.com. Bye. Bye. <laughs> How do we become one voice?